and welcome to the What the Jazz Junction podcast. I'm Chris. And today I'm chatting with Elliot Galvin. So, some pianistic marvellousness coming right up. Hello, 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 and welcome to the fourth episode of Series 7, would you believe, of the What the Jazz Junction podcast. As always, if you like what you hear, do let a friend know, or in fact many friends, and make sure you subscribe. I go to bed worrying that somehow, somewhere, somebody may be missing out. You can visit our lovely website at whatforjazzjunction.com whenever you like, and to book tickets to see our gigs here in friendly Watford. Last night we had the amazing jazz of Dudley Moore, thanks to Chrisingham, Jeff Gascoigne, Paul Higgs and George Double. Jeez, those cats blew the roof! And next up, we've got the Tony Covey Quintet and their enthralling Cannibal Adderley show on the 12th of February. Also, today's episode, and my guest does not know this, marks the one-year anniversary of the Watford Jazz Junction podcast. Can you believe it? And I'm celebrating this week and next. Yes, it's a merchandise giveaway bonanza. For four lucky listeners, I have got Watford Jazz Junction baseball caps to be won. And for one lucky super listener, there's a Watford Jazz Junction hat, a Watford Jazz Junction t-shirt, and two tickets to see Tony Kofi on the 12th of February. Whoop! All you need to do is just email jazzwatfordlive at gmail.com with the subject line WJJ Podcast is one, and you'll be entered into my champagne-popping anniversary prize draw. No cash alternatives are available, no travel is included, but I will cover postage and packing. Oh, the closing date is the 1st of December. Good luck. Now, to business. Today, I am joined by a fabulous pianist and prolific composer, a, I quote, virtuosic, risk-embracing one-off, one quarter of the Mercury-nominated dinosaur, one third of the Elliot Galvin trio, one half of a Mr. and Mrs. Elliot Galvin and Laura Jurd, and one whole part fabulous keyboard tickler and songwriting behemoth. It can only be Elliot Galvin. Elliot, hello, how are you? Hi Chris, yeah, I'm, I'm good, thanks for having me on, and congrats on the one year anniversary. I know, it's very exciting, and who better to have on our show than Elliot? That's it, I feel very honoured. He sums up all the exciting musical yeah. junctions that, that we like to explore on our podcast. Thanks very much, I like the way that the, the fractions you gave added me up to be more than one man. Well, exactly, you are, <laughs> you are many parts, Galvin. Um, so, where are you speaking to us from? I mean, I can see you're in your living room. Yeah, so I'm talking to you from my flat in Greenwich in South East London. Nice, well, I like that part of the world. Do you ever go to the Greenwich Market, poddle around? Yeah, yeah, there all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I studied at Trinity and like all our friends are, are still around here and stuff. So, you know, we have a little community. So oh, it's nice. Super, super cool. Um, oh, and you've got the Naval Museum, haven't you? There's all sorts to do at Greenwich, actually. Yeah, now I think about it. And there's a comedy club. Yeah, there is actually. Yeah, yeah. I haven't been there in years, actually, but there is. Yeah. <laughs> they used to do a really good jazz gig there, actually. Like the, the Really? The, yeah, they used to have a really good band in the breaks between... Um, between the between the acts, it would just be like really really good. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> fantastic. The um, alternative reasons to seek out comedy, just in case you discover some jazz. Yeah. So, exactly. what, what's your backstory? So, you obviously ended up at, at Trinity um, there in sunny Greenwich in London. But before then, what was your sort of journey from little boy to then? <laughs> sure. So, uh, so I grew up in Kent, in Rochester, in Kent, in the Medway Towns. And I guess when I was my next door neighbour had a piano when I was growing up. When I was about five or six, I just got really into their piano, and they they were really they were lovely, and they uh, 
he used to let me go around and just bash away at it. And then um, when I was about six or seven, my granddad passed away and some of the money he left, we got a piano with, which is great. And I just got really into it. And I did a lot of playing and practicing. And then when I was 11, I actually gave up piano and gave up music <gasps> entirely for a year. Good Lord. I love the fact you took a sabbatical when you were 11. <laughs> That's it. Exactly. I felt I'd achieved all I needed to achieve. Yeah. So I just had like one of those teachers who was quite kind of like, you know, this music is kind of thing. And yeah, I just sort of gave it up for a year. He stopped teaching piano. And then I was like, oh, I don't really know if I want to do this. At the time, I was like, I want to be an actor. That was my like dream. Yeah. Because my mom studied acting. So that was like my my path. But then actually my mum convinced me to take piano back up again because she was like, oh, it'll be good for acting, you know, more strings to your bow. Uh, and I got a really good teacher called Paul Angel. Oh, we'll give a shout out to Paul Angel. <laughs> yeah, Paul Angel, yeah. Who basically was like, uh, he used to play um, cocktail piano on the ships and things like that. And he introduced me into like, you know, the sort of beginnings of how to play jazz and how to improvise in that style. And I was just hooked Amazing. and I got more and more into it and... Um, through various other teachers and just yeah just kept going and I haven't looked back since then really and I I guess as well another big thing was I went to Chatham Grammar School for boys that sounds Um, fancy that's it it does sound fancy although it is also the only grammar school in the history of the UK that's been put in special measures but you've left now I'm sure they're doing much better I've left that's it yeah 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 yeah, that's it I I just brought all the grades down uh yeah so I was when I was there there was a really good uh jazz band there actually and there was like a little group of us who were really into jazz a guy called Chris Young who still plays sax who's in Birmingham who's great um and a number of other players as well and we all used to play together at school and like you know encourage each other and we we started a band or Chris started a called the young ones chris young, the I, young ones. I like it that's good right yeah uh, and we just started doing those gigs you know those kind of gigs when you first start playing when you're younger and you play like you know the blue scale as fast as you can at some like garden yeah party. and you've got sunglasses on yes you do you have sunglasses exactly yeah. so we did lots of those kind of gigs and it was great you know that sort of gave me the bug for, for like playing live and playing to people yeah and then i went to trinity and then met another group of people I had things in common with. And you know, the rest is, you know, history, as they say. Absolutely. <laughs> so did, was it a particularly musical household? You say your mum's an actress and whatnot. But yeah. were, were you the sort of the, the vanguard of musicians in the in the Galvin history? Not really, to be honest with you. I mean, my mum's brother used to be a recording engineer for the BBC. So there's that kind of side, yeah. I guess, always. And he gave me a couple of records that got me really into jazz as well. Errol Garner, Concert by the Sea. It comes up very frequently on this podcast we love it it's amazing it's absolutely amazing I still go back and listen to that sometimes and being like oh it's just so good like the feel but also it's quite out some of the weird intros that he does are like really amazing but anyway, yeah, so there was that side of things. I think my mum used to think, sing a bit of folk yeah. songs and things when she was younger, but she wouldn't describe herself as a musician. Yeah. And the same with my dad. My dad did like computer programming and things, yeah. so um, not necessarily musical. That's so interesting. So that sort of musical jazz whatnot has come purely from within. Um, although obviously you've taken in lots of stuff from outside. Yeah, I mean, they had, they did have a great record collection, which I've kind of pinched a few things from. Wayne Shorter Ooh, and Weather Report nice. and Pat Metheny and what else do they have? Yeah, loads of great stuff, actually. Oh, that's proper. Yeah. That's proper Groove Merchant territory if they've got some Wayne Shorter yeah. in there and some uh, Pat Metheny. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So <laughs> you're not scared to get under the hood of the car, so to speak, and, and quite literally with the piano, because um, I've seen you do things on the YouTube um, what, okay. what is your interest with sort of playing all of the instruments, so to speak? You know, you're happy yeah. to, to twang the strings as well as sort of hit the keys that hit the hammers that do the same thing. Well, what is it about the sound yeah. or the vibe that you're after? I guess 
the main thing the main thing i'm interested in quite often is sound and texture and it's just another way of getting a different sound out of the instrument i think that's that's the thing i I guess if i was to say there's one thing that slightly frustrates me about piano especially if you play it conventionally like with the keys after you hit the note that's it there's like you you know you've got the attack and then the sound happens Mm. and decays there's not much you can do it's not like a wind instrument where you can shape it after the pitch starts it's just another way of getting different textures and timbres out of the piano and as I said, like that's something I'm, I'm really interested in experimenting with or listening to or listening for in music. No, I, I love it. The um, and I, and I have seen one or two other people do it over time. But, you know, when I was a kid, the piano was a sort of holy, sacrosanct instrument. And the last thing you do is sort of yeah. play it in an unorthodox fashion. So I applaud yeah, yeah, the adventurous yeah. <laughs> the adventurous nature. It's lovely to see and obviously lovely to hear because it works. Oh, so whilst I'm at it, you're also not scared of bringing mm. in unexpected keyboard instruments. For example, ones you may squeeze or blow, ones you may scrape with a metal <laughs> whatnot, um, or really anything that purports to have keys. Do you find there is a limit in keyboards with a smaller range? Um, and then how do you overcome that? And also, do you prefer to tackle the original instrument, whatever it is, the stylophone, etc., as opposed to using just the synthesized sound and playing it on a regular keyboard? Uh, oh, that's a really good question. Woohoo! Hold on! We're writing that down. Chris asked a good question. <laughs> 18th of 10. Yeah, right. yeah. So as well as liking sounds and textures and things like that, I also really like the tactile nature of making music. Mm. So I like the fact that there's something you can hold and you can you know, play with. So I guess things like using sort of toy instruments and um, things like that, there's still that tactile nature. There's still that that limitation. It's like it does this set of things and you can try and subvert it and, and, you know, play it in different ways. But there is kind of it has its way of playing and you're playing with it and you're holding it and you're messing with it. Whereas, uh, especially with like software synthesizers and things or like, you know, something like some computer programming sound and music like Max MSP or whatever, it's much less tactile. It's, you know, you can make it tactile by, you know, um, connecting controllers to it and things. But it's not um it doesn't feel like you're physically shaping the sound as mm. much as when you actually have an object in your hands which is and maybe why saying all of this and just sort of thinking aloud here i mm. guess that's what a podcast is right it's what we do <laughs> um yeah that's it which is maybe why because i did actually get a little bit into um or recently got into like modular synths so you know those things which are like little uh different little mini synths you connect up together yeah and you get all those boxes that make it look like a cool recording studio exactly exactly yeah. so the thing i like about that again is it is super tactile it's like analog everyone goes on about analog like oh it's a better sound but i don't know that you can always tell that but i really do love the kind of tactile nature of like when you turn this knob this will open this filter and it will make this weird sound and it's like that's what's happening it's not like i've not done this programming and then i click run and it does something it's like i'm physically shaping it i can get my hands around it as it as it evolves yeah i mean there's a there's a lot of sort of musical kit out there and it becomes sort of part of musical history i mean many years ago when i was but a young boy the um (laughs) i was playing the piano in a studio and they had something that belonged to the Who. I can't remember what it was, like valve amps or something. But either way, the piano that I was playing, it was a grand piano, went yeah. through this system. Who knows what? And there were valves and lights flashing and whatnot. But it genuinely made a very, very different sound and was more pleasing, even if someone could have pressed a button, let's say, on a, on a computer nowadays, to sort of yeah. almost see it. Like, I know it sounds daft, but what yeah. you're talking about, that tactile nature of you know, shaping the sound 
it mm. was I was much more part of that process of recording than I would have been if it had just been a sort of digital post production thing. I really thought yes. about what was happening, and of course, totally. for, briefly figured I was in the who. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, 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 exactly. I think that really makes a difference, even just subconsciously in the way that you play or you perform or yeah. definitely for myself as well, like those kind of things like, you know, we perceive, I think that's the thing people can forget about, like, you do perceive with all of your senses, even if you're making music, like everything is important. And if you can shape mm. all of that, and you can be influenced by that, um, then it only serves to make the music stronger, I think. Truth. If that makes Truth. Sense. <laughs> so... As well as uh, playing with Laura in Dinosaur, you also play uh, with Emma Jean Thackeray in Walrus. You obviously like playing with a trumpet lead, a harp. <laughs> but as a musical explorer, do you find it easy to follow the lead of others? I think it's similar to what I was saying with the objects, like playing with objects. It's, it's like you're given a boundary and then you can create within that boundary. So there's something I, I quite enjoy about that where it's like, like, okay, so Dinosaur, for example, like, this is the aesthetic. These are the musicians. This is, like, what works in this context and what doesn't work in this context. I know that if I play like this, Corian drums is going to behave like this or whatever. So it's like, you, this is your set of, of boundaries and your set of of, um, of possibilities. And then within that, you can create and you can play. And I, I'm, and I like quite a broad, like, I sort of genuinely like quite a broad spectrum of music. So I don't like to limit myself to like oh, i'm just going to do this thing or i'm just going to do this thing um so i you know I, that's why i enjoy playing in different people's bands because it's like okay here's this new set of criteria and it's like okay how do i make something in that set of criteria while still being true true to the sounds that i hear like someone i think is like a real inspiration for me in that context is like bill frizzell like mm. if you hear yeah if you hear him playing with um you know, uh, naked on like John Zorn's Naked City, which is like full on as hard as possible. And then you hear him playing, you know, in duo with Fred Hirsch on like acoustic guitar. It's still, you can still be like, that is Bill Frizzell on both of those. And yet it's completely different and totally stylistically appropriate playing. So it's like a really interesting challenge that I just enjoy doing. <laughs> yeah, I love that point of discovery when you think you sort of know a musician or a type and then you sort of see them crop up somewhere else. And it's like, huh, I would never have guessed that. And of course, yeah, yeah. we are all the parts we are. Um, no, I find that really, really interesting. Um, sort of, you've now made me think, though, from something else you just said. And it's something to do with the British jazz tradition, which is a phrase I whipped off your website, actually. I was looking at it. I'm oh, sure really? it said that. Or someone <laughs> said it about you somewhere. Maybe it was is a review. Okay, cool. Um, sure. <laughs> but that British jazz, jazz tradition, for the sake of a phrase, versus being you. And, you know, mm. I've listened to quite a lot of your work in the last few weeks and, you know, over time. It occurs to me that you approach the instrument without jazz in mind at all. And rather that sure. jazz becomes a useful wraparound for music that's not entirely, but is tonal and expression-led. Do, do you mm. feel that history of jazz pulsing through your work? Or is there sort of more Chopin or other absolutic influences afoot? Whatever it may be. But does jazz, is it a heavy, heavy hat to wear? If you had to wear, I think it's a hat people try and put on you. Oh, God, we're getting deep. <laughs> Whoa. Um, <laughs> I've never been too concerned with jazz in Britain. I think that's a good point you said there. So jazz outside of America, like inside America, right? If you're an American musician, there's the weight of history there. You know, there's there's, there's such a kind of heavy burden of that that maybe it's hard, much harder to like step outside of it. But I think in Europe and in Britain and in other countries around the world, 
we've already taken you know jazz in these countries it's already like kind of what we think is going on over there anyway yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. then um so and, and for me jazz has always been about it's kind of been about like like taking lots of different things right it's, it's like it's like the eclecticism of taking dot lots of disparate uh, musical elements and making something from those in a kind of improvisatory you know um democratic way um that's one side of it, definitely. The other side of it, though, that I think if you're going to say, uh, if you're definitely going to take influence from it and you're going to say what you're doing is jazz and you're going to play jazz clubs, there's definitely that socio-historic thing of like, it was, uh, you know, an African-American art form that came out of slavery, that came out of oppression. You know, the bebop movement was something about like basically saying, saying like, am I allowed to use swear words on this? Probably not. You can use the odd one. Okay. You can bleep it out. Okay. For me, for me, bebop, and I often think it's misinterpreted, but for me, bebop is literally like, fuck you. Yeah. We're not only equal to you, we're better than you. We can play this insanely complex music that, you know, you can't dance to, which is like, you can't come up on the stage and play with us because this is, you know, amazing, you know, art form. Mm. So for me, there's that element of it and there's that punk element of it and there's that um, like um, socio-historical element to it. And that, in a sense, as well, is what I think is inspiring, right? Because you can take that kind of human element of it. That's kind of what I like about jazz. Is there's definitely that that human element of it, that kind of, you can't, explain it you can't kind of canonize it and teach it in a conservatoire it's like it's that kind of human like rebellious confrontational in a kind of sort of loving way element to it which is also something that really inspires me and i guess if i can in any way take influence from that and and express even the tiniest amount of that then i i would feel feel happy so Mm. i guess there's that side of it that inexplicable side of it and there's also the side of it that's like you know picking and choosing and taking anything you want and making something new from it so yeah so in that sense it would be nice i guess it's jazz that i make and i'm inspired by jazz and i'm definitely inspired by by musicians but once again jazz is like a phrase that people put on music as opposed to there wasn't like you know louis armstrong well this is jazz we've branded this and this is our pr and our press release and you should call it this and book it in these kind of venues with do you know what I mean? absolutely <laughs> i'm really interested in, in your term socio-historic and it takes me back mm. to a couple of podcasts we did going back a while one with jelly cleaver and another one with faye mccallman from archipelago Mm. but we sort of got into that Mm. sort of relationship with society for you and and it's not to sort of make you feel too lofty or or or, or arrogant or whatever but if you were to look back in time say in 20 30 years what what do you think the music you're producing now has been responding to are you very much driven by you know a personal narrative and what's going on in your life or do you feel there is a response to the society that we're all living in at the minute yeah um by the way this question is your fault for bringing up socio-historic <laughs> yeah i know yeah i use those posh terms and that's it i've trapped myself dug my own hole i think it's a bit of both probably to mm. be honest with you um so I'm very interested in that side of things. And I've always been very, you know, I I, I would you know openly say that I'm, I consider myself very left wing and, you know, uh, very for equality and, and what have you. And so that inevitably is going to seep into how I make music. Mm. And I guess that's something I like. Maybe that's another reason that I've been attracted to jazz or more democratized music forms rather than the kind of classical yeah. canon of like, there's the composer, the conductor, the first chair, the, you know, second violin, like there's the hierarchy. There's, whereas in jazz, there is that equality, mm-hmm. um, hopefully in the best situations. Um, so inevitably that's going to seep into, because the music I make is from me. So I guess it's inevitably going to be in there. The challenge I think with making music and something that I sort of struggled with a bit earlier on 
was I really wanted to convey messages. I was really like, this is about this. This is a political thing about this. But if you don't use words, I'm not a singer, and you know, I, I try and spare people that <laughs> side of me. Uh, um, so yeah, if you're not literally going to use like words, you're just going to use sounds. They're inherently subjective. You can't have an objective sound. This isn't objectively better than this sound. This sound doesn't always mean, you know, Boris Johnson, and this sound doesn't always mean, you know, Noam Chomsky or whatever. You know, there's, there's, you know, you can't say that. Um, so you're always going up against that. You're always doing uh, an interpret, an expression of something as exposed as as opposed to a to a list of something, I guess. I mean, you can play with that to an extent, but um, I think it is a response to things, but it's not necessarily an obvious response. I mean, there is there is examples that have been more specific, like my album I did, The Influencing Machine, yeah. was really about, uh, which I sort of wrote after the Brexit thing and, and Trump and all that kind of stuff, which was sort of a response to, I tried to make it a response to like how you know, social media is influencing the world and changing things and people's perceptions of things and, you know, put that. But I don't think you would necessarily listen to it and go, ah, <laughs> this is a comment on, uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. But that's that was an inspiration for me in terms of how I constructed that music, if that answers it at all. <laughs> We're a year old, but I celebrate the fact, Elliot, that you're the first person to say Noam Chomsky <laughs> on, on the Watford Jazz Junction podcast. Okay, that's fine. You're that's welcome. already put that's you it. leaps and bounds ahead when we get to your quiz. I'll give you a bonus point for that. Oh, thanks. Right. <laughs> um, so your relationship with your lovely wife, mm. Laura Jurd. Yeah. Um, you're married, as I said, at the head of the show. And you're both at the front of the, of the jazz game in the UK. And you both write. And I'm sort of curious because I'm looking into right now sort of jazz epicenter of your house okay. how does it work i mean how do you find time to be in your own space without sort of getting on each other's nerves and ultimately yeah. do you listen to each other's critiques another very good question <laughs> Bam! two in a row i guess um we're lucky that we live we have a flat in which there is a spare room yeah. <laughs> um, so that helps we both get on very well with each other so um and we're both very honest with each other um i think that helps so in terms of like if we want to communicate something we just do there's no like or it doesn't feel like there's any kind of like you know push down suppressed like you always do that and i need to but you know you never uh, so everything's always open and expressed um and creatively we both have very different aesthetics in some ways but very similar aesthetics in the kind of important ways mm. so we do we listen to each other's work we both play each other each other's work and critique each other's work and um take on those criticisms and we have kind of a healthy I'd like to think, obviously, sometimes you're a bit like, well, I don't think it's great, so screw you. But, um, you know, generally speaking, I think we, we take on each other's points and really respect each other as musicians and artists. So generally it's OK. And in terms of like actually just for space to make sound, it's a discussion and it's a compromise sometimes. But sure. it's always it's always worked out <laughs> generally OK. So everything's all right. I mean, there's... Um, We'll see how it goes soon because uh, Laura's actually pregnant. So um, soon there's going to be an extra person to accommodate for. Many <laughs> congratulations. And maybe thanks very much. Be the first to suggest that Chris is a lovely name for both little boys <laughs> and little girls. Very good. Very yeah. good. He's actually a little boy. So uh, maybe that's well, In which it. case, Chris is a great first name and Newstead works very well as a middle name. <laughs> okay, very good. We'll, we'll bear it in mind. We'll bear it in mind. We'll, we'll, we'll keep our ears out for exciting news in the future. Thanks. Thanks, uh, Good luck to you both. Thanks a lot. Yeah, we're going to train up a little uh, jazz child. <laughs> give, give him the little 
stylophone and it would... Yeah, exactly. Get him on yeah, the too right. So, it is now time for Chris's weekly quiz. Mm, and today, okay. it's Galvin's Jazz Couples. All <laughs> okay. you have to do, Elliot, is choose your favourite musician from each couple. Not to the detriment of the one that you don't choose, but just to select that person who you like the most and perhaps would like to play music with yourself. Right. Are you ready? Go for it, yeah. Question one. Louis Armstrong or Lil Armstrong? Uh, I'm going to have to go Louis Armstrong. Louis Armstrong. Fair enough. Go. Right, question one. We've got a mark on there. Right, question two of five. Okay. Uh, John Dankworth or Cleo Lane? Uh, I'm going to go Cleo Lane. Very good. Uh, question three. Yeah. Uh, John Coltrane or Alice Coltrane? Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to go John Coltrane. Just because it's John Coltrane. Sorry, Alice. All right. <laughs> no, it's very good. Uh, question four. Penultimate question. Uh, Stacey Kent or Jin Tomlinson? Uh, I'm going to go Stacey Kent. I'm going to go Stacey Kent. Stacey, good. So we've got a, a, a trumpeter, a saxophone, a saxophone player, and we have two lovely singers. Right, and my final one. Jay-Z or Beyonce? <laughs> oh, definitely Beyonce. Quite, that's the easiest one you've given me, actually, for my own taste. All right. So, and then your final task is to create a new musical couple out of the people you've chosen. So, who will it be out of Louis, Cleo, John, Stacey and Beyonce? Who should we pair together to create Jazz Music's new super couple? I think it's going to have to be Beyonce and John Coltrane. I just would be, I'd love to hear that album. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't? Yeah. Well, someone must be out there to be able to remix something exciting there. Oh, yeah, definitely. I love it. So let me just add up because you obviously got one or two right and you obviously got two <laughs> okay. very wrong. Okay. But out yeah. of all of it, out of five, of course I'm carrying over that bonus point for Noam Chomsky. I'm going to yeah. give you five out of five. Eight. Oh, wow. Okay, great. I'll take Well that. done. Um, I'll and I'll tell you that. what I'm going to do, because yeah. I'm in celebratory mode, yeah. I'm going to send you a Watford Jazz Junction t-shirt. Oh, you shouldn't. You shouldn't have. That's <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, what we should have is those little uh, Watford Jazz Junction onesies for little ones. Maybe oh, that's future yeah. merchandise opportunity. Yeah, yeah. But yet, yeah. you've won yourself a t-shirt. <laughs> oh, you. Don't tell the other guys who are guests. It's only because I'm going crazy because we're a year old. <laughs> okay. Well done. Right. Yes. Okay. Time for something serious. My okay. set question. Sound versus music. What comes first? The musical thought in your brain or the sound thought? Sure. Discuss! (laughs) I guess uh, it comes down to how you define music (laughs) and where you draw that line. Whoa! (laughs) Take that! Take Um, that, Chris! (laughs) Yeah... I would say, though, if I'm being 100% honest and how most people would talk about this, sound comes first. So by sound, I mean sort of like a texture or a combination of things going on. So, for example, Mm. uh, I uh, maybe music did come first with this, actually. Wait. Uh, I was about to use an example of it. Maybe I'm, I'm wrong. We'll get the example out and we'll, yeah, okay, we'll analyze yeah. Let's together. Do the example. Okay. It's a safe space, Elliot. Thank you, thank you, Chris. Um, <laughs> so, um, so uh, okay. So recently, I've just finished writing a piece for the Sinfonietta, which is in the jazz festival. And the way that I approached writing this was very sort of sonically, soundly led. But okay. Maybe I'll just talk through my process and then afterwards I'll decide whether I think it was right, <laughs> what I said. <laughs> um, okay, whenever I start writing something, 
um, whether it's for my own band or for myself or for like another ensemble. It's similar again, I guess, to that idea of like little instruments where I like to know where the boundaries are, where the, like the lines are. Like, draw- And sometimes that can be me drawing the lines in myself. So mm. I can say, okay, it's only going to do this type of thing or it's only going to be like a repetitive thing or it's only going to be a um, like a really dense thing or whatever. So I like to know where the lines are, the boundaries, which you can sort of play within. And quite often that, that, that starts with like a sonic idea. So with this piece I was writing, I just had lots of little sort of like sonic vignettes or little like textural worlds that mm, I was interested mm. in moving between. Um, so that yeah. kind of came first. And then it was like, okay, how do I... So what is it? what are the sonic possibilities of those instruments, right? So like, what can the flute do? What can the bass clarinet do what can the harp do what's interesting and then within that what's interesting is a combination of sounds you know <laughs> like they can do all these sure, things sure. but if i have you know these two things going on maybe that sounds awful so i guess the sound comes first and but the sound comes first in a way of like drawing the lines of where the music can fit so i guess it's like mm. this is the world that it lives in and then within that world the music can exist so you know i can connect the dots up within the possibilities of of what sounds can exist yeah yeah if yeah. that makes any kind of sense it does make sense a surprising okay. amount of sense okay so it's that Good. sense <laughs> of the it's the sense of the possible right mm. so what sound something makes is itself a standalone thing uh, yeah what I'm probably going to ask you again a, a, a minute uh, is to yeah. embellish more on that because you can hear a sound, but that doesn't mean that that then immediately makes you think of something musical mm. because you may then plug in something else that's musical from the past, a phrase or, or some way of yeah. playing that instrument yeah, to produce a sound that you go, well, that's pleasing. It just has a different timbre or pitch. Yeah. But the sound itself is, is, to go back to your answer, sort of comes first. And then there is the framework, this uh, mm. this this you know weaving board that allows you then to thread these sounds together that that thus makes music yeah um have you ever ended up with a piece of music perhaps is probably a better way to put the question where you've gone back and thought i'd rather change the instruments than than the piece of music and see if something <laughs> different happens no i don't think i'm in the sense why that. not <laughs> I think that's like for me that's that's as the instruments as part of the composing process and sometimes right. you're in you're in control of that like with my band or whatever I can yep. be like I'm going to add a stylophone <laughs> um yeah but sometimes it kind of and it's just presented to you but that that that's that's as much the the context composing the context for me is as much a part of the overall composition is composing the detail. So the the macro is as important yeah. as the micro, if that makes sense. I, I guess another way of thinking Absolutely. about it for me, uh, maybe this is, so I'm just sort of, once again, thinking aloud, doing what a podcast is. Another way, so there's there's, there's a thing that, that, do you know Harold Pinter, the, the playwright? Yeah. yeah. So there's yeah. a thing he talks about when he, when he used to write a play and how it would like an urge to him or whatever, is it would be like it would start with a phrase and then he would like go like an image or something, and then he'd go away from that. So it would be like, for example, uh, you'd have like the idea of like, okay, black. Okay, what is black? Is that is that? Um, oh, black is like. Um, let, let's interrogate that and see what that is. Oh, that is um, you know someone opening a door and it being the lights out being in there. So okay, so we we sort of shone a light on what's going on there, and then let's zoom out a bit more. Like who's opened the door? Why have they opened the door? Where are they going? Okay, what's the backstory? Why have they come there? Where are they going to? You know, and you gradually yes, yes. build from that. So you have your little seed. So for me, quite often that little seed is like a textural thought of like I don't know, like a sort of cloud of sounds or like some repetitive you know rhythm or what have you. Like that's your seed and then it's like interrogating it being like 
what is it? What's the truth of this idea? Where is it going to? Where is it coming from? What's it a part of? Is it everything or is it just the beginning? Is it like this corner of the piece or is it this corner of the piece or is it the middle of the piece or, or what have you? And then you sort of zoom out from there. It's like it's also a bit like how David Lynch talks about ideas where he says it's like catching a fish. So it's like ideas are like catching a fish where you like sort of have this one little thing you sort of sort of you the ideas are there and you just have to like sort of get them and then interrogate them and see where they want to go and quite often for me that is like sonically led in terms of like it's not as as clear as like a groove or a riff or a specific chord sequence or a specific melody it's like this Mm. kind of idea and then that kind of idea zoomed out and being like okay so this is the world this idea has given me and then you know, like, like I guess to go back to the Pinter analogy, like this, these are the characters, this is the set, this is the world they're in. Now, what are the characters going to do within that world? How are they going to move through it? Where are they going to go? Um, what's yeah. the story arc going to be? Uh, and then I sort of compose from there. So I guess it's kind of sound first or, you know, essence yeah. first. <laughs> so, I, I don't want to yeah. get too, too, more, too, too, too much more complex, at least for, sure. the, for the poor brains, the Watford Jazz Junction listener. <laughs> the, um, yeah. But there's something about a continuum in what mm. you're talking about mm. um, that is the same as sort of, I don't know, for the sake of a comparison, if you're standing on top of the earth and you look out to space, you go, oh, the infinite possibility. Yeah. But if you get a magnifying glass, you know, and you 50 times magnify something, you see down into a whole new world that's there. Yet yeah. it's all sort of coexisting, yeah, and it's part of perspective. And yeah. I think you've probably given one of the the clearest, if not deepest, answers to that question, almost about the nature of what a piece of music is. Yeah, it oh, very much depends on not just your own personal take on what you're hearing, yeah, but the the nature of the part of that music that you're listening to at any one moment in time, and yeah. how does the whole thing add up, etc. Totally, totally, yeah. And I think for me as well, like, I guess if you boil down to the nuts and bolts of it, writing a piece of music or improvising a piece of music is all about um, decision making. And Mm. you're, um, you know, on the smaller scale, on the larger scale. And when, for me, composing like that, visualizing it like that, just helps you make the sort of, in inverted commas, right decision all the time. So it's like, what should happen next? And you're like, well, this is what the piece is about. This is the world it's in. So these are the things that should happen next, that can happen next, that are appropriate to happen next. Because really, at the end of the day, you know, you could, you could, there's nothing to stop you writing any sound at any moment. And, you know, the infinite, as you said, looking out to space, the infinity of that is like, like looking out to space and the infinity of that is like overwhelming. And it's like, what are you going to choose from everything? <laughs> Whereas if you've given yourself this essence of a piece, you've, you've, dis- you've discovered this essence of a piece that is what it wants to be about and you follow it and you stay true to it, then... Yeah then you're going to write what should happen. What an answer. (laughs) And also, like, I guess when you're improvising on a piece of music, and maybe it comes back to that thing about playing different people's bands, and it's like, this is the world, this is what this piece is about to me (laughs) in this moment in time, and then I need to make something that's an improvisation that's a part of that world and a part of that piece, and that's how you make a decision with how you improvise on it. Rather than getting all your stuff out and being like, I can do this really fast. <laughs> you yeah, can be yeah, like, yeah. this is what this is about. It's not about me, it's about the piece. Yes. Yeah. And as you say, it still comes back down to decisions, choices, mm. what what you don't play, etc. Totally. Mm. Amazing. Thank you. No worries. What an interesting discussion. <laughs> oh, thanks. So it's top three album time. Oh, um, which tracks, albums, pieces of music do you go back to again and again? 
this is very hard. <laughs> this is a very hard oh, question. Oh, yeah. As I always say, you don't come on the Watford Jazz Junction for an easy ride. I know, I know. Okay, this probably changes all the time. As I'm feeling in this sure. mood right now, <laughs> how I feel right now, I'm going to pick some sort of big things. Okay, the first Gorillaz album. <laughs> nice. Funnily enough, is has like, just, just great. All those tracks are sort of perfect. And maybe as well, yeah. there's a bit of like, my childhood in there because I used to listen to that loads when I was younger because it all came out when I was a teenager. Absolutely. Um, yeah. In terms of jazz music, I'm probably just going to have to say Kind of Blue. I know it's the like the classic one that everyone says, but it's just all kind of it of, is kind of kind perfect. Of I think that's only the second time uh, is it? Kind of Blue has come up. Okay. So it's not bad going. Great, great. Yeah, there's just some just perfection on that record. And also, and then as a wild card thrown in there, uh, is Trout Mask Replica by what? Captain Beefheart. You know that one, that record? Of course, I do know. Right. Yeah. Captain there, Beefheart. Yeah. I'm just jotting these down. So yeah. we've got Gorillas, Miles Davis, and Captain Beefheart. I can guarantee you we haven't had that uh, trilogy of, uh, <laughs> okay. of musical outfits before. Fantastic yeah. stuff. Thanks so very much. Um, and you mentioned the um, uh, the EFG London Jazz Festival is coming up. I think mm. Damon Albans part of that as well. Um, what, what stuff are you doing at the Jazz Festival? What can we look forward to? Sure. So I think the big thing that I'm doing is um, I'm having the premiere of one of my piece, of my piece I wrote for the London Sinfonietta, which is on the 17th of November at Queen Elizabeth Hall Lovely. on the South Bank. Amazing. And that's me... Uh, so I've written a piece uh, that's like yeah. 15 minutes long and Laura's written a piece Laura Jerd's written a piece and Shabaka Hutchins has written a piece and Cassie Kenoshi has written a piece and wow some of what us a quartet are... of com- composers I know yeah it's good it's, it's really nice to be included in that group of like amazing yeah, musicians well, yeah we've all been kind of talking to each other throughout the process and I think some of us are playing in each other's pieces as well so yeah it should be really good it should be really fun and I I think maybe it's definitely the most work I've ever put into a piece of music, I think, <laughs> writing this wow. piece. So hopefully it sounds good. <laughs> Otherwise, maybe I shouldn't try so hard next time. <laughs> oh, I think we will all be queuing up to try and get tickets for that one. And he says on the 17th of November, right? 17th of November. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Okay. That should be good. So it's now time to sort our house band. Okay. Some say it's the most eclectic fantasy house band in podcast show business. Others say other things. Uh, right now, we have got Carla Blay on the piano, Paul yeah. Motion on the drum kit, nice. Ron Matthewson on the bass, Joe Tempoli on the bass saxophone, or, or baritone, John Hassel on trumpet, and the very wonderful Norma Winston on vocals. Great. Now, your task is to remember as many of those musicians as you can uh, and remove one if you fancy, but okay. most importantly, to bring in a new player from any point in jazz history. How and who and what should you like to do to our house band? Okay, what would I like to do to your house band? I would like to put in... Mm, <gasps> I'm going to put someone... I'm going to mm. keep everyone there. I'm going to add... Oh, we're, getting, we're getting a new player. <laughs> a new player. Can I remove someone? You may remove someone. Okay, this, is no, this isn't an indictment on her playing... I do right. like her playing. Um, I'm going to swap Carla Blay as much as mm-hmm. I like her. I'm more of a fan of her composing than her playing. I'm going to swap yeah. her for Jerry Allen. That's who I'm going to put on piano in that ensemble. Lovely. So we remain a sextet. Yes, I uh, think so. <laughs> and Elliot Galvan has fired 
Carla Blay <laughs> Sorry, Carla. Uh, and brought in Cherry Allen. No, 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 no. The way we see it is everyone needs a break, and uh, she's been on. She's been in the exactly. band for a while, so exactly. she must be dreadfully thirsty. Uh, fantastic work! Thank yeah, you very much. That's all right. Um, what other shows have you got coming up before Christmas? Are you sort of a, a, a busy boy up until the new yeah, year? Well, things are starting to pick up again with everything, which is nice. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what I'm doing. So this, I'm not sure when this podcast comes out, but um, Ooh, this... around about the first of November-ish. Okay. Sorry. Well, I will have just done two shows. <laughs> uh, I've <laughs> got a trio show at um the vortex jazz club in dalston when actually nice. you're talking about j- jazz history i'm uh, just doing standards we're just all like jazz yeah. musician tunes so we're doing something by music by eric uh, eric dolphy carla blay loads of people the kind of the classics yeah. of jazz but our own take on that for the first time which would be I fun like it. um and who's that you'll get your trio yeah me cory yeah, dick yeah. and tom credit and then yeah. what else am I doing? We also will have just done a trio show in Hungary, which is my first show abroad since Ooh. the last few months, since everything was allowed to open up again, with my own band anyway. And then Very what nice. else am I doing? I've got a gig with Mark Lockhart's new band. Uh, All right. So we recorded a new record that's coming out on edition in, I think, February, March time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's me on keyboards, Tom Herbert on bass, Dave Smith on drums, and Mark on sax. Uh, Amazing. Yeah, it's a really awesome band. Yeah, it's really fun to play with. Bit of a dream band to be asked to be in, actually, because when I was growing up, like listening to uh, Polar Bear and all that, you know. Yeah, yeah. So that was sick. Um, so, yeah, we've got a gig. We've got a couple of gigs. Uh, oh, yeah, and then I'm off to Switzerland to do some gigs with this drummer called Clemens. Uh, he's got a band uh, that we recorded before everything. <laughs> and now we've got some gigs again in Switzerland, which will be nice. And then we've got a dinosaur gig in December as well. So there's, there's, you know, there's a few, and I'm sure there's a few other things. Oh, actually, there is one thing. There's one thing which I'm going to like promote. Uh, So we will promote away, promote away. So we will be doing a record. The plan is to do a record at some point with this band. Um, So we're doing a gig at the Vortex on. I'll get the exact date for this as well. On the sixth of November, uh, we're doing a gig with um, myself on piano. Seb Rochford on drums, uh, John yeah. Ed- John Edwards on bass, and Binker Golding on sax, and we're going to be playing a gig. The first time we've played together, and um, hopefully we're going to do a record with that as well. So we'll be doing that. Nice. With Vortex. So that's a new formation band. Does, does it, the yeah. band have a name, or is it? Um, no, not yet. Elliot Galvin's Quartet. No, it's not mine. It's very much uh, all of us <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that that should be really fun. So, yeah, come down to that. Awesome. Well, we'll be queuing up at the Vortex as well. Thanks. (laughs) Uh, This is very exciting. Listen, thank you so much for being with us today and celebrating with us here on our our anniversary edition. Um, Thanks. Dear listener, if you have liked what you've listened to, nay, loved, um, (laughs) make sure you don't miss any episodes and subscribe. And if you want to know more about the Jazz Junction, as I say, check out our website at watfordjazzjunction.com or follow us on our various social media. And do not forget to enter our anniversary prize draw email wjjis1 uh, to jazzwatfordlive at gmail.com and you shall be thrust into our prize draw. Next time, we are passing the metronome from one fabulous pianist to another as we're in conversation with Zoe Rahman. So, until that next time, it's goodbye, lovely listener. It's goodbye, the lovely Elliot. Bye. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Uh, Our absolute pleasure. Uh, Stay safe and always remember to connect with something new. Bye. Bye.